Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Galathrae in the constellation of Casterberus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a Doctor, but I am... I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who watch song. I'm joined, as always, by Harry Murdoch. Hi, Harry. Hey, yeah. Um, so today is a slightly different episode in the sense that it's going to be probably one of the longest ones that we're going to do for a while. We're going to be talking about the first two-parter of Doctor Who Series 1, which are called what, Harry? Aliens of London and World War Three. Yes, so what did you think? This has been probably one of the first times I've properly sat down and watched um, this ep- these two episodes properly, because when you're a kid, you just put them on in the background and you just have them on. This is the first time mm. I've actually sat down and probably watched properly properly watched these episodes. How did you find them? Um, I found because I was a little wary going into these episodes because obviously, um, the general reception of these episodes, the main thing people remember is the Sabine and all kind of the fart jokes <laughs> and stuff like that. You know. Um, lines oh. such as "I'm shaking my booty" and "You might not farting our save the world." That, um, I found that line to be hilarious because I've completely forgot he said it. I ended up replaying it about four times. The way Christopher Eccleston turns and just says, "Excuse me, do you mind not farting whilst I'm trying to save the world?" It was just so funny. I found that's one thing I noticed about these two episodes in particular is that they were particularly funny compared to previous episodes. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I did kind of allow my inner four-year-old to actually quite enjoy all these <laughs> fart humor. Like I know, you know, fart jokes are a bit, you know, silly, sometimes immature, but at the same time, a bunch of people like laying out these really loud rips and just giggling about it like kids. It is, it's, it's, it's funny in that very just, you know, Goofy instinctive sense. way. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Uh, one thing I did notice from the start of the episode is that the poster photo for Rose that she's gone missing doesn't actually look like Rose Tyler. It's it looks a- like Billy Piper. It looks like Billy Piper. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed. Um, I think was her hair different in it? It's a much darker colour, isn't it? It's um, also yeah. quite wavy. I imagine it was taken at a premiere or something like that. Yeah. Although I did also notice that at the same time as I'm doing that, I noticed that um, the same photograph was actually hung up in Jackie's apartment. So yes, I noticed maybe, that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of that kind of weird in between where, well, no, it probably isn't a photo that was taken specifically for the show. They then went to the effort to try and make that photo a part of the world. So uh, yeah, one thing I also yeah. noticed on that poster is that the phone number on the poster has a digit missing, and if you phone it, it's not a real number. Yeah. Is the the same case for the uh, alien helpline on the Yeah, it is. I found that one as well. <laughs> so I was I'd... wondering if, like, back when the episode aired, like, if you phone those numbers, like, you get some kind of special message or something. That's but... what I did think, because I know that certain films now, when they come out, if a van has a number on, the chances are if you phone that, that number, you'll get through to whatever the corporation is that's advertised on the side of the van. 
There was another mention of Bad Wolf. Did you notice that one? This one was a bit more obvious. This is probably the most yeah, this is probably the most explicit reference to Bad Wolf, seeing as a kid spray paints <laughs> it in white paint across the TARDIS. Yeah. What did you think? And I imagine the... for a lot of people Sorry, go on. I imagine for a lot of people kind of viewing this for the first time about knowing Bad Wolf. I imagine that'll probably be the first time a lot of viewers will actually properly register that as a thing. Because it is just a bit of a weird phrase, bad wolf, without yeah. context. I don't, is like, I, why would it? I don't think yeah. outside of the show it actually means anything. Other than, of course, you know, you know, um, grim fairy tales, the big bad wolf. Yes. With stuff like Little Red Riding Hood and the Three Little Pigs. Mm. Yeah, the phrase bad wolf is a bit of a... Yeah, so it's, it's strange. It is one that causes a lot of intrigue, yeah. Uh, what did you think to... I don't know, when we first did this podcast, we talked about um, the CGI. How did you mm. find it in this first episode? Because I found it with the um, spaceship crashing into Big Ben and then crashing... I found the scene of it flying through the skies of London and crashing into Big Ben really good. But the scene of it crashing actually into the Thames water, I didn't think worked as well. Yeah, I mean, generally, it was a thing where, for me, the spaceship itself, if it was in motion, it was fine, because you mm. couldn't really, um, you know, scrutinise it. Yeah. But when it was kind of at a standstill, and it was, you know, you could directly compare it to a tangible um, world, uh, yes. it was kind of obviously not real. Although the scene of Big Ben getting destroyed was... I think that's practical. I, held up well. I think it's a yeah. practical it shot. Practical? I think the bit. Right. I, I'm pretty sure when I've been to one of the uh, one of the Doctor Who museums when they used to be around before the experience. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw the Big Ben prop. So I think that's a prop that they exploded and then added the um, the alien spaceship in afterwards. Right. I was wondering why it looked so good. That explains it. Yeah. And um, I also noticed that this is probably the first episode where it's a Rose and Doctor story, but it doesn't seem to be so much about Rose joining the team. She already, mm. when they're stuck in traffic and they can't get to the spaceship crash site, the Doctor's like, oh, well, well we can't get there, whatever. We're just, you know, this is, I'm an alien. This isn't really relevant to me. This is all up to humans to deal with. And she's like, no, we can mm. do this, we can go this. And in the end, they go back to her flat and watch on the news. She's the one who seems to be really pushing the idea of getting involved in another adventure. Yeah. And I think it's probably good for kind of that change in Rose's character is introduced now, because obviously this is Rose's first time returning home after beginning to travel with a doctor. Yes. And obviously she's been away much longer than she hopes for. She, yeah. Well, she was anticipating being away for, and it kind of does start to you start to see the juxtaposition of how her traveling with the doctor, even on a couple of adventures, has made it kind of harder and harder for her to connect with you know her family, her friends, the world she used to be a part of. How yeah. traveling to these amazing places has made that stuff, you know, even what was familiar, start to feel kind of alien to her. Yeah, you touched on it there a little bit, the idea of Rose coming home. I really liked the way they included um, Jackie and Mickey and how mm. Rose going away. Because when you're watching episode two and three, you aren't really thinking of 
Jackie and Mickey at home. You you know Mickey knows that Rose is gone, but you kind of forget about Jackie. You sort of think, oh yeah, she will be missing her daughter, even though it's been 12 minutes, supposedly. You mm. start to think, well, she's actually been away quite a long time. So I like the idea that they do bring that back because I don't think that had been explored properly before in Classic Who. Like Sarah Jane disappears and then she comes back three years later and nobody really seems to have cared where she went. Yeah, and I think, I mean, like you said, I feel like this is kind of a thing that's only really explored in New Who to my knowledge. And I feel that um, with Rose specifically, it's very interesting how it doesn't just explore what traveling with the doctor is like but how going away and traveling with the doctor impacts the world you leave behind like i said that with rose i think um uh, the end of the world uh it did a very good job of making you um empathize with rose feel like you're in her shoes and see the everything through her eyes but this is the first episode where you start to kind of feel that less so and that you for me i found a lot of points in this episode i was kind of empathizing more with the likes of mickey and jackie Hmm. but a lot of rose you know that this person who they who is has been such a big part of their lives and who you know they dearly love as any mum or boyfriend would um for this person to suddenly want to have less and less to do with them especially being away for a year yeah. and then being so eager to take off once again you can imagine that would be really hard for you know yeah you sort of get that sort of selfish aspect of it a sort of sad maybe we haven't considered with Rose because you are a Doctor Who fan and you want the Doctor to travel with someone but when you mm. actually see the, the effect it has on the family of the companion you start to think are you just being selfish? Are you really thinking about other people? Obviously that becomes slightly more clear in um, World War Three with Mickey and his reluctance to actually travel in the TARDIS anyway, but we will get to that when we get mm. to that later on. But yeah, I think it was quite an interesting thing that hadn't really been sort of explored because I think there really is something that's been noticeable across the whole series, I think, is a really good supporting cast of characters. Absolutely, yeah. And this is the first time we see Harriet Jones <laughs> Harry Jones, MP for Flydale North, is it? Yes, she's this time, isn't she? Yeah, every I think every time we yeah. see her, she you has. Don't a... know who she is yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I did, I did make note of that. She has to introduce herself because people genuinely don't know who this woman is. I think she's a really good character in this. Yeah, and it's it does a very good job of how when she's first introduced, um, you are always siding with the people who are turning away of like. Why are you trying to be involved? Why are you trying to like bring up this thing of hospitals? There's much more important things going on. But then, as the episode, this story goes on, she more and more begins to kind of prove herself as being someone who is very morally um, just, who is very, who takes initiative, who's very good at thinking through. There's even a point where the doctor says to her, You're good at this. Yeah. Yeah, you almost feel like yeah. she could have joined that team, but I feel like maybe she was too much of a liability to actually join the team. I feel she would get too I excited. Like, <laughs> I feel like Carrie Jones isn't a character who would want to travel with a doctor because she cares more about, you know, her country, her constituency, and kind of wants to stay in one place and look after that and make a change rather than, yeah. you know, 
dotting and out like the doctor likes to do. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I really do. I, yeah, I do like that character. I'm going to go back to Mickey because I think these two episodes are almost really sterling by No Clark's performance as Mickey. I think he's every time he's on scene, he's either doing something funny or just being or just proving his worth. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the, at the start of the episode, he runs straight into that wall. He sees the TARDIS. He pelts that wall so hard as he tries and grabs onto the side of the TARDIS before it takes off. But I know in future episodes, I'll try, I'll try not to go into it too much. Why does the Doctor call Mickey Ricky? I feel like it's either a mix of him genuinely not caring enough to remember his name <laughs> and a mixture of him just really wanting to wind Mickey up. Yeah. But I feel like the way the Doctor treats Mickey actually starts to show some of the darker shades of his character mm. and his dismissal of, you know, a lot of humans as uh, stupid apes. Yeah, like, you do Mickey get that impression. Clear that, yeah. Like, the Doctor puts Mickey down a lot throughout mm. this story. It isn't until the end where he throws him a bone and says that not all humans are stupid. Yeah. Indicating, but, yeah... Um, it's very clear as a viewer that uh, Mickey isn't written as just some foil or a fool. Like he says that while the doc Rose has been away, he's researched the Doctor. He's found out stuff about him. You and see how that he's been when involved. when we go into Mickey's flat, you can see all the folders behind him labeled different things and drawings of Tardises and DVDs stacked up high. Just all this research that he's been doing for the last year, obviously because people thought he killed Rose. So I, that, I, I wonder if big. I, I imagine Big Finish have touched on that at some point, but if not, I think that'd be quite an interesting out of Doctor Doctor Who story to see. A story how, about the year Roses away. Yeah, I think that'd be quite interesting. Yeah, you could almost do twelve episodes, each episode being a different month, and how you could mm. almost have it as like from almost like a, a diary. So it's like Jackie and Mickey writing a diary. And they're constantly contradicting each other throughout their individual, you know, how their how their mother's actually going. Yeah, I have to also um, say on the note of Rose being away from for a year, I think considering this is an episode that has a lot to do with um, the prime minister and politicians, it was a very smart decision to have it that Rose was away for a year because by doing that, they're able to kind of skirt around the fact that. They of having to acknowledge who's in power at that point. Yeah, there's a point where like um, the doctor asks who's the prime minister, and Rose says, "How should I know? I've been away for a year." <laughs> and it's a show where obviously I'm not going to say that Doctor Who isn't a political show because Doctor Who is a very political show. It's sci-fi. Mm. Sci-fi very often touches upon political themes, but obviously it's never been a show to. Um, explicitly place itself as saying we support, you know, Labour or Conservatives. Yeah, it doesn't and, align itself with an opinion, does it? It just addresses an issue. No. Well, like, obviously, each writer for the show has take obviously has a political stance, but um, they don't. Um, you know, it could have been very easy if Russell wanted to to uh, take pot shots at, say, whatever party he doesn't like. Mm. But obviously we do see recognize the pre- that this is a... Sorry, go on. 
obviously he recognizes that you know this is a show you know um for families for children and it's not really the right place and time to make such comments so no he was very smart in finding a way to kind of have a story about political figures without it resolving dissolving to that kind of thing yeah because we do see the prime minister very briefly and i believe it's implied to be tony blair who was the prime minister at the time because the guy who falls out the cabinet no pun intended does look very much like Tony Blair, but not enough for you to go, that's clearly Tony Blair. You did touch on it there a little bit, yeah. that this is a kid's show. This is the ep- this is the episode out of the um, five we've watched so far. This is the episode where I felt it was targeting itself at a younger audience more than a young adult, adult audience. Yeah. Did you find I that? agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there are things where, as an adult viewer, you can get something out of it. Obviously, the Slovene as a whole, they're not a monster, these big green things waddling about. I think it'd be hard-pressed to find any adult who would find that particularly creepy. And obviously, the (laughs) fact that their weakness is something as simple as vinegar. um, Yes. The farting. Yeah. One thing that... Sorry, go on would be hard-pressed to find an adult who would be creeped out by the Slovene in the same way they would be creeped out by something like an Auton or a Cyberman or a Weeping Angel. Yeah, no, I do agree with you. Um, obviously, the Slovene weren't really the only alien in it. There was the Space Pig at the start of Episode 4 that was actually in the mm. spaceship. I felt so bad for that pig when it gets shot. What did they say it was? Did they say it was a pig who you through alien technology had been made like its brain capacity had been increased or something? Because well, they did remember. a scan of it, didn't they? And they said its skull was definitely pig. <laughs> I think it was a, an, uh, a pig from Earth that the Slovene had taken and changed up and you know. Yeah. Yeah. But when but I think that that that, that scene of it being shot and then the doctor's reaction to the fact that a human has decided to kill this creature. Yeah, I think that scene that scene really shows how the doctor one minute can really appreciate humans and want them to succeed and really push for them to be able to do more. But then as soon as they get scared and retaliate, the anger that's shown through him is, you know, it's very contrasting. Hmm. I mean, I think, is this the first time in New Who that um, it's kind of, we've shown the Doctor's uh, distaste for violence, specifically gun violence? Because I know kind of in the classic series at more than one point, it's been made very explicit that the Doctor is not a fan of guns, armed weaponry. Yes. Now, I couldn't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure it is. He's got Batman's rules, which is he never uses a gun. Um, one thing I did notice is how quick are Blue Peter with their crafts? I mean, oh, the, news yeah. was, the news was still breaking. It was breaking news. They were flicking through the channels. And there's Matt Baker from Blue Peter. For those not listening in the UK, Blue Peter is a children's um, television program where they do stuff every week. And one of the presenters is making a cake that represents the spaceship that crashed in the London Thames. 
probably yeah. 45 minutes ago. I mean, that actually does lead into something I want to discuss, which I think is one of the kind of strengths of this episode, which is often, I feel, not recognised, um, which is uh, is a, re- a talent that Russell E. Davis has displayed in a lot of work, um, like such as Years and Years and um, The Second Coming, which is, is this real knack to kind of capture how a public as a whole could respond to a larger-than-life event. Yeah. And here, I feel like in the first episode, Aliens of London, of this story, um, he does a really good a job at kind of displaying um, a quite believable way that a British public would react and respond to um, an alien spaceship crashing in the middle of London. You get all of these hurried news reports, different interpretations. You get people gathering together in apartments yeah. to kind of just... I like, I, I like the sign that just says L-O-E-T. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I did like that because I'm watching it and I was, you can't help but think, what if this actually happened? How would you react? Like, I love sci-fi and I love stuff like this. And the idea of aliens existing, I love that. I think it'd be so cool. The, the repercussions of that, I don't even want to think about. So if an alien did land in the Thames, in one side of me, would be like, this is amazing. Then the other side of me would be like, ah, shit, this isn't going to be good. So I really think it does, does, it does do a good job of mm. depicting how people would actually react. Because I think this is one of the first times where it is global news that aliens do exist in Doctor Who universe. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I know that within Russell T. Davis's run, this is like stays consistent I'm not sure about after this but Russell T. Davis really commits to the idea of now that the public have seen aliens there's just kind of this heightened awareness that extraterrestrial life is out there and it's Mm. real and just becomes a part of their life I mean obviously it's not so much in this episode because like you see at the end there's like newspaper stories being reported like printed about the whole thing being a hoax. Yeah, yeah. Because as the doctor says, the public aren't ready for it. It's something you kind of see more after the end of series two of Battle of Canary Wharf that people become more and more accepting of that kind of alien life is out there and yeah. that sometimes it will come to visit. No, it's very true. What did you think of the Doctor and Rose's relationship in this? Uh, for the most part, it's the same as usual. Um, they're written with great chemistry. The two actors bounce off each other really well. Mm. The one part that made me start to question the, you know, how healthy their relationship is, is the bit at the end where um, the Rose is in Jackie's apartment. Jackie's going on about saying she's going to make them all shepherd's pie. Mm. And then the doctor calls and kind of gives her this ultimatum of, you can stay home and have shepherd's pie or you can come with me and continue adventuring. And it's kind of, that offering that kind of ultimatum is just a very, to me, it seems like a very unreasonable and almost like, I mean, it doesn't sit quite right with me. And it kind of... I found it creepy. It sounded like he was doing yeah. weird, weird Time Lord fern sex, is what I wrote down as a note. Because he's there going... We can ride the tide, and like everything is so. Oh, what's this dude on about, man? Just calm down, go for Shepherd's Pie, and go on an adventure. 
Yeah. I do have some. Like, have it, they, they're all in, there are kind of insinuations to that. Like, there's the whole question of like when the police comes to question Rose at the beginning of the story about if there's a you know a sexual nature between Rose and Doctor's relationship, and they both kind of they both deny it, but there's a kind of an awkwardness in their response mm. as well. I think that's like, something that's trend- it's a very sorry. Go on. Just as Rose and the Doctor become closer, kind of the potentially romantic implications of their relationship get brought into question, and it is a kind of odd one, especially when you take into consideration stuff like Rose is 19, the Doctor's <laughs> 900. Yeah. No, and, yeah. And then Jackie asks as well, like, is it right for, you know, the Doctor to be taking this person with him as their whole life against them, when he himself, like, he couldn't... She asked him, is it safe for... Um, is she safe traveling with you? And he wasn't able to answer it because no, of course it's not yes. safe. Yeah, yeah. Like really, you can really side with the likes of Jackie and Mickey when you it comes to their views of the Rose traveling with a doctor because there's a very strong case to be made for traveling with someone like that, with a relationship of that nature, going to the places that they go. There are a lot of uncomfortable questions and implications which arise yeah i think that's something that yeah. definitely gets explored a lot especially jackie's view on the doctor and rose traveling with the doctor that do and um, change slightly over the course of the two seasons that these characters are relevant in i do have some um notes here on what chris and billy had to say about the the doctor's relationship with rose in this episode and um, chris oh, described yeah. Chris described it as a love story. He says it's love at first sight. So that's quite interesting to see that he believes that this incarnation of obviously the 10th Doctor we know fancies the pants off Rose Tyler. But this with this version of the Doctor, it's maybe slightly more questionable. We don't really know. Um, whereas Billy went on to say, it's such a strange, uh, it's such an interesting dynamic. From reading the script, you just can't put your finger um, on what their relationship actually is about. So it's quite interesting to see how they both know that there is an element of um, a romantic interest in their friendship. Chris sees it as they clearly fancy each other, whereas Billy sees it as maybe they're just really good friends and there's a possibility of something. Yeah. So that's episode four, which is called what again, Harry? Episode four was Aliens of London. Do you want to go into World War Three, or do you have some notes on Aliens of London that we haven't touched on yet? Um, well, I feel like we've been saying bits and pieces about World War Three as we go, so I'm happy to go straight into that. Okay. Well, one thing I will ask you about that we didn't, I didn't, we didn't really touch about is the Slovene. How do you find them as an actual creature? How do you find them as an alien? I feel like of the ones we've kind of seen so far, from just kind of a visual design concept perspective of this series so far they're probably one of the weaker ones um just that you know it's a big green bug-eyed monster yeah because they never return Um, after this they return in spin-offs in the sarah jane adventures but they never seem that they never to my knowledge or what i can remember properly return in um the actual main show uh they one of them appears later in this season, but series, but yes. um you don't see the proper Slovene monster again. That's true. Um, and I do kind of and it's interesting because like 
looking at it as an adult, they're not the most remarkable thing. But as a kid, I do remember the Slovene to me was one of like the big monsters. Like yeah, I, I consider yeah. up there with stuff like Daleks and Cybermen. And maybe that's because of like me having more exposure to stuff like Sarah and Jane Adventures, which I admittedly never like watched religiously. I just saw bits and pieces of it on TV, but they yeah. did kind of maintain a presence, especially through stuff like that show. Oh, no, definitely. To say that they were quite a big monster, when Jackie is being attacked by one at the start of, of um, episode five, Mickey seems pretty unfazed by the big Slovene, up to the point where he just whacks it over the head with a chair and takes a photo on his phone. That was a good moment. <laughs> well, I liked it. I was like, oh, that's so good. But then later on in the episode, when Mickey sends Rose the picture of the Slovene, it's a different picture. Yeah. Did she notice well, that? Yeah, the one Mickey takes is really close up of the head. And then the one Rose receives is like almost like a torso upwards with its arms in the shot. Oh, right. Yeah. I really like the Slovene. I think they were really... I think they look good. How did you find yeah, the... Think... Sorry. No, I find the uh, costume itself, like, you know, it works. It's good. I think, like, the CG bits of them are a bit weird. No, I agree, yeah. There's a scene where they yeah. run through a corridor and I remember looking at it thinking, they just don't look the same. They're missing something. I mean, I think, if I remember right, I heard it like behind the scenes, like it was kind of a last minute thing. The CGI yeah. for the Savino, like getting a special effects shot was really difficult for them. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I, I only briefly watched a few moments of Confidential, but there are there are moments where the the Slovene costume looks really good, and then the actual CGI elements of that. I know they blink quite a lot. Yeah, and I think the blink is CG. And then there's there's a scene where the three of them are in the meeting room at Downing Street and they're talking. And on the shot of the the wide shot, none of their mouths are moving. And then when it cuts into close ups of each individual Slovene. They've CGI'd the mouse, so maybe it was quite late in the game. Yeah. And I feel like that was moments like that when the Slovene were a mixture of the practical costume with CGI enhancements. To me, yeah. that was when they looked the best. Yeah. That's kind of my stance with most special effects. For me, most special effects work the best when they mix in practical with computer enhancements. Definitely, definitely. I, re- I like seeing them talk to each other, I think that's quite funny. Especially the, the scene Slovene. where the yeah, especially the, the the shot where the doctor's threatening to blow the whole houses of Parliament up. Yeah. I think that that scene of Harriet Rose and the doctor is quite funny. How their dynamic works quite well, and mm. that I think that scene really plays to Chris's um, comedy strengths as well. Something that we maybe don't get to see a lot of, and I know something that he wasn't that fond of as well. Was he not? I've seen in interviews him say that he wishes his zaniness was turned down a lot and he played it as a more serious role. It's interesting to hear that because for me watching, he seems very natural in the bits where he does like spring into action action or have a big goofy grin on his face. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, I think that's one of my favourite moments. The scene where he offers Harriet the drink and she goes... (laughs) Give it to Rose, and then he closes the thing, and she goes, "Well, how are we going to get out?" And he just goes, "Oh." <laughs> Even that, yeah, I can maybe understand this point slightly, but I do think it's just an aspect of his character. I think it, it does work well. 
I know he's not the first doctor to kind of desire a more kind of more of an opportunity to go darker. I know that Colin Baker wished mm. that his doctor had been handled there, though. I think that was primarily to do with the costume, but he did not Yeah, I think I remember seeing an interview with Colin where he said that the costume he had requested was the one that Eccleston ended up wearing. Yeah. So, but then again, that Sixth Doctor costume is something else. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm used to it at this point. Like, I don't... I'm not opposed to the costume. Um, I feel like the blue variant that you see in Big Finish Mm. is better. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, you know? I think a lot of people feel that. I really enjoyed the, the scene of Andrew Marr, the BBC political editor, standing outside of Downing yeah. Street as all these different fat people just turn up. Mm. I think that I is mean, really funny. Am I right in thinking that um, it looked like they actually used proper news cameras for shooting those bits, as opposed to I, I, know, I know it's not Downing Street that they shot at because you can tell when no, they do the long not. shots. But I imagine yeah. it is, you know, maybe they got a film crew in to actually film those sequences because it does look really good. Yeah, because like watching it, like that footage is probably some of the footage that's aged the best because watching a lot of it, it did look like kind of just a regular BBC news broadcast. And that kind of really helps just kind of bring the whole world building kind of together. Yeah. How did you feel about the, this being the first story of the current era to be set solely in Earth in the present day? Um, I think it's a strong one. I think it kind of plays into um, what most people would uh, think of first when it comes to a modern day story about aliens, which is is a very kind of traditional alien invasion yeah. story, yeah, of course, bit, handled yeah. with that British Russell D. Davis Doctor Who twist. Yes. Now, I know like, a lot of people have issues with Doctor Who, especially um, the, this first Russell T. Davis era, of a lot of the stories being set on Earth. But I don't really seem to... I don't have a problem with it. I find that sometimes some of the strongest episodes... I know... My brother, when he watched the show with me, he always said that his favourite episodes were the ones set in present day. Yeah, I, I watched an interview with Russell where he said it's all very well and good taking characters like Rose and Mickey and the Doctor to the edge of the universe, but me and you and the people listening to this can't really relate to that. We've never been to the end, so you have to bring it back to Earth to the modern times so that we can reconnect with these characters these characters and their emotions more than we can when they're in these powerful, beautiful places. Absolutely. And I think the way that the um, modern day episodes are treated within the span of a series work well, kind of it's structured very well that you start modern day, you check in on modern day in the middle, and then kind of you go back to modern day a bit at the end. I feel like it kind of helps to kind of frame all the crazy adventures and kind Mm. of offers that nice juxtaposition, both of how incredible those stories in the future and past are as well as how much going on adventures changes a character like Rose uh, yeah especially at the end of the episode the very last shot is the TARDIS takes off Rose says she'll be back in 10 seconds Jackie counts 10 seconds yeah. on her watch she throws her arms up in the air like I don't even know what to do she walks back to the flat and Mickey just sits on the bin and waits yeah so it's and almost me, that one 
for me, that bit at the end was probably the one of the most kind of affecting parts of this series so far because it just it was just such a kind of human grounded moment. It wasn't a big emotional thing where Jackie like breaks down or anything because she's not back or anything. Like yeah. it's a very kind of somber moment. Where yeah, there was moments in this that, episode that, especially with Jackie, where I found myself going really feeling for her. And you start mm-hmm. to, and I've, now and again, you get the the pinnacle moments in Doctor Who where you do feel emotional. But this is a really surprising one where it just caught me, and I suddenly just yeah. felt I was like, oh man, I feel real bad for Jackie and Mickey, who were, yeah, yeah. you know, Rosie's boyfriend and mother. She's she's an only child. She's only got one parent. And her boyfriend cares about her so much that he's been researching where she's gone for the last year. And she just gets in this box with the doctor and flies off. And you start, like I mentioned earlier, you start to sort of think, is it quite selfish of her to do this? Absolutely. And I think that really surprises me in the sense that I remember like as a kid, you'd always kind of roll your eyes at like, you know, the Jackie bits. You're like, oh, Jackie, she's so annoying. I just want to see, you know, Joe's gone on an adventure with a doctor. But then, you know, watching as an adult, you kind of think, you know, this is her daughter and she yeah. has no idea where she's going, what she's doing. She has no way of making contact with her. Rose can con- phone her at any point, but Rose doesn't think to. Yes, <laughs> it is strange. And when she does phone, oh, hang on one second then. If we're okay, so Rose has been gone for twelve months. Yeah, yeah. Jackie yeah. says you didn't even phone me once to see to check in. Hmm. Episode two of season one, she phones her mum when she's looking at the world from space. The doctor zaps her phone. Yeah, I think that though. Rose phoned a mum there it had only been about like 12 hours or so right, since okay. the end of the first episode so I guess Jackie wouldn't have realised that Rose had been gone at that point and when Rose phoned Jackie she didn't give any kind of indication that she was anywhere out of the ordinary Yes. so because... I guess from Jackie's perspective yeah I guess from Jackie's perspective would have been a thing that Rose went out last night she rung me the next day, and then I didn't hear from her since. Yeah, I think you're right, though, because I think Jackie does say, why are you phoning me in the middle of the day? What have I done wrong? Mm. So, yeah, you're probably right. it's probably a day at the most that she's, um, that she's actually been missing. All in all, I found these two episodes really enjoyable. Mm, I had a lot of fun with them, yeah. I did. I think out of the, out of the three episodes we've watched prior to this, um, Rose, The End of the World, and An Unquiet Dead, this has been the most fun episode, I think. It's the most mm. Doctor Who episode of Doctor Who so far. Yeah. How did you find it, um, all in all? Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun with it as well. I think of this series so far, my favourite episode has been The Unquiet Dead. But I okay. think this definitely... This story is definitely second or third, mm. um, only to... It's kind of, for me, this is on the same level with Rose. Maybe yes. Rose I prefer slightly more, just because Rose had a lot to do and set up. Yes. Um, and did it so well. Um, mm. But no, this is still a strong episode. And I imagine if you were watching this week by week back in 2005, you'd, you know, 
you'd still be having a great time. You'd still want to be tuning every episode. Um, yeah. I don't think these yeah. characters have I got... They have a, sorry, go on. I, I can see kind of watching back, because every time I watch these episodes, I kind of try to play off back in 2005. Mm. And this show has been away for 15 years coming back. And like being a new person to the show. And me as a viewer, I'd keep tuning in each week. Like yeah. I'm having enough fun with each of these episodes to want to see what happens next. And especially with kind of this these kind of emotional ties that are starting to be introduced with stuff like Jackie and Mickey and Rose in a relationship with the Doctor. There's a lot where it's still up in the air of how is this going to pan out? Yeah, and I think yeah. each episode they seem to bring in a, a deeper, a new layer of each character. The Doctor, we've seen, we find out more of his emotions or we see more of his emotions, I should say. Episode one, he's very mysterious Episode very alien. Two, yeah, episode two is very excited. Episode three is quite dark. Episode four of five, he's in his element. He's loving it. And the same can be seen with Rose. Is episode one, she's a bit, she's very outgoing and she wants to join the TARDIS. And then in this episode, episode three, as we said, when she leaves the TARDIS and walks on the snow for the first time, she's very apprehensive about doing so. Episode four of five, she's loving it and she. You know, she has the option to quit now or carry on, and she carries on. Mm. And it is a thing where kind of it's very well done in the fact that although you can take sides with these characters, you can see where each of them is coming from. You understand oh, yeah, why yeah. can't just go back to her normal life, but you can understand why Jackie is so, you know pained to see her daughter go off again you can understand why mickey is so resistant to go adventuring yeah because of how perilous it is yeah he's sort of like i feel yeah yeah, when you're a kid you're watching this and you're thinking like you said you're like oh jackie here she comes again put down on everything (laughs) and then being 21 i watch it and i maybe side with mickey i'm like i can see why this is must be so exciting but my common sense tells me do not get in that box. But then, mm. obviously, I imagine as you get older and you watch it, you start to maybe side with Jackie and understand her aspects well. Maybe that's why the show worked so well when it came back, is because you have these three different age layers of characters who can relate to the show altogether. Mm. Whereas if you I think that's at... a question. Um, do you think if, like, the Doctor appeared in his TARDIS and went on an adventure, like near you and it was like hey <laughs> want to come with me would you um do i do i know the show um uh let's say no just that this strange man hey. with a box or woman with a box and a screwdriver comes and fights some aliens and yeah. asks if you want to come traveling with them if have. i was if i was in a scenario where i'd seen the alien and i'd been saved I'm picturing myself as Rose in episode one in that scenario where I get the option to leave or to to stay with Mickey or go. I think I would be apprehensive, but I would go. Mm. Maybe, but I feel I would be, knowing me, I would do the one trip and I'd be like, okay, that's enough. I can't do this. It's too weird. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel like, after one near-death experience, I'd be like, <laughs> I'm done, I want to go home. 
yeah, I nearly just got fried. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. an interesting thing that you don't really see many companions do that. Like companions mm. are either in it for the long haul until like either they're forced to separate or they die. Yeah, it'd be quite interesting like, to see a companion who maybe joins the TARDIS team by accident. She, maybe he or she only... has to, is saved by the Doctor and the Doctor just can't get her home for whatever reason, so she's stuck with the Doctor. Yeah, the closest thing I can think to a companion like actively leaving is Martha at the end of Series 3, yeah. where she just says, you know, this was great, but I'm done. I'm going to go with my life. Um, yeah, I agree, yeah. But Obviously, we we can get to that. We can get to Martha when we get to Martha in two seasons. Which time. is not going to be for a bed. Yeah. Yeah. So we are episode five of twelve, which means next week, episode six, we will be halfway through this first series, series one. Series one. Yeah. Um. So I thought next week we could rank the six episodes so far. Yep. And see where we fall in that. We've got some news next week about um, the remaining six of what we're going to do with those shows and stuff that's happening between. But we'll talk about all that next week. Any final thoughts that we haven't talked about yet, Harold? Um, I don't think so. Um, well done, Russell. <laughs> done a bang up job bringing this show back. Uh... <laughs> What's so next week is Dalek. And tune in for that. Oh, if yeah. what we can say now is with absolute certainty is that the show is now on iTunes. I don't know why I say oh, that yeah. because people listening to this, if they're listening to this on iTunes, already know it's on iTunes. So it's on iTunes, it's on Acast, it's also on YouTube. We have a Twitter What's account. Acast? Acast is the, the, the site that we the host the podcast. Is that connected to iTunes or you upload to Acast. You upload to Acast and they distribute to iTunes. Right, okay. Okay. Tim's um, the one who does <laughs> like behind the scenes editing admin stuff. I just hop on each week and talk. Yeah. So we've got Acast, we've got iTunes, we've got YouTube. We've also got a Twitter account now. Um at bigger on the pod, I believe it's called. I'll try and link it below. There's also an email address. For whatever reason, if you want to send us some, I kind of had to make the email address um, to set up some of the accounts. So feel free send to send in, send in fan art of me and Tim. Like you can't actually see us, but <laughs> what we look like based on our voices. Yes, that'd be interesting. I mean, it's not the hardest thing to work out what we look like. You just go on Twitter and put our names in. I imagine we come up. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've already commented on like at least one um, <laughs> post, and you yeah. tag me in a lot of them, so it wouldn't be that hard to track us down. That's true. But maybe if you have a, an episode of Classic Who you would like us to talk about, that would be quite interesting. I actually went out today, Harry, and I bought an episode of Classic Who. Maybe with oh, the inten- maybe with the I'm just getting it now. Maybe with the intention that we could perhaps do an episode on it. I think I'll, I'll watch it and then I'll decide if we're going to do an episode on it. But is Doctor Who, yeah. The Ark in Space, starring Tom Baker. Oh. That's is that his second story, The Ark in Space? I couldn't tell you. Many thousands of years ago in the future, Earth becomes uninhabitable. Around space, um, aboard space station Nerva, the remaining survivors of the human race drift among the stars in suspended animation. The Doctor, Sarah, and Harry arrive to find vital systems have been sabotaged. <laughs> I can't my... believe I get just trouble with the fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith. This is so cool. 
As mankind begins to awake from its enforced deep sleep, the Doctor discovers that they are not alone. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. I also have um, the animated, the lost uh, um, episode reanimated Sharda. I own that. Um, I own the first few episodes of William Hartnell, so that would be interesting to go over. Um, One of my my personal favourites is the Patrick Troughton episode, Tomb of the Cybermen. That's a very good episode. Uh, with some great I know music. Who yeah, so that's interesting. And I own a fifth Doctor episode. I can't remember exactly what it's called. And of course, the the TV movie. Yeah. I know it's the. I want to say fifty six or fifty seventh anniversary this year. Hmm. Well, the fifty six is the twenty third. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Because so the twenty. That's the 60th. Yeah, so I thought we could perhaps do a previous anniversary. We can maybe do the three doctors, the five doctors, or the two doctors. We can do one of those, depending on which one. I'd be um, up for the three doctors. Yeah, so, I haven't seen it. I, I, I own the five doctors, but we can do the, the three doctors. That'd be quite interesting as well. Well, through sequentially, yeah. Yeah, cool. So tune in for all this amazing fun stuff and more news next week on future episodes because we've got some cool news right i will see you all later say bye harry bye bye <laughs>